hopeful or hopeless in the new year, Psalm 42. Uh, have you ever, uh, you know, been to a place that you said, this place is absolutely awesome? Maybe for some of us it's, you know, we've gone up to the mountains or maybe it's down at the ocean, but it's some place that you were just there at that place, right? That you just, you just felt so alive. It was so wonderful. It was paradise to you. It was absolute paradise to you. Here's the thing, everybody. The human condition all around the world, people are longing for home. People are longing for something. It's almost nostalgic that it's inside of us, like it's in our DNA, that we long for this place where there's peace and there's beauty and there's justice. All these ones, you know, you see this, you hear philosophers philosophize about it. You singers sing about it, right? You too? What was their song? You know, I've climbed the mountains. I've, I've got all this stuff, but I still haven't found what? What I'm looking for. God put that in our DNA. We long for home. We long for the Garden of Eden. We long to walk in the presence of God where there is no death. And so we're looking, we're longing for that place that we'll call home. It's kind of like us. It's kind of like Grace Community Church. We're here at TJ, and we're just looking. We're searching for the right room to meet in. <laughs> We've explored the auditorium. We said, ah, this is good. But, you know, then we said, let's come down and explore you know, the gymnasium, that was good. So now let's check this space out. Does this work? We're longing for home. You know what I'm saying? It's in all of us. It's a universal thing. It's been talked about since the beginning of time. It's a very relevant and prevalent common topic. We long for home. So what, what I'm saying is this. The home that we are longing for is what the psalmist writes about in the 42nd Psalm. And that home is to be with God. It's to be drenched in the presence of God. And the psalmist is talking about this dryness, this spiritual dryness because of this separation from God. And he longs to be back in the presence of God. Now let me say something about the presence of God for a second. When I say longing for the presence of God, all kinds of thoughts conjure up in our minds. And those thoughts are radically different. So some of us say, you want to be in the presence of God. And some of you right now think, Yes, I do. I just want to run to God and woo, big swan, dive into his arms. And I just want to kick my head back and just love on Jesus. You know, that's what I want to do. And others are like, man, that's really wacky. That actually scares me. You know, I'm thinking I really want to be in the presence of God, but I want to be like in the back of the room, leaning against like this, against the back wall. And I'm digging it. I'm loving the presence of God. I just don't want to do cartwheels across the room. You know what I mean? That's okay for them, but don't ask me to do this. Do you follow what I'm trying to say? But we all, I don't want you to get caught hung up on the style is what I'm saying to you. Don't say, yeah, he's talking about being in God's presence. That's for the real spiritual people. You know, the people that are, ooh, Jesus. Don't get caught up in that. Years ago, years ago, many years ago, um, I was down in D.C. It was, it was uh, I don't know what night it was, but it was about 9 o'clock at night. And we're down on 17th and Constitution Avenue. And I was with my parents. And we were driving along Constitution Avenue. And a helicopter at 9 o'clock at night lands on the National Mall. Now, you don't see that happen very often. And so my dad pulled over to the side of the road because he thought, this must mean something. Something's going on. And sure enough, next thing you see is the presidential motorcade. Now, there's nobody around. There's no, we're it, man. So he pulls aside the road, and here comes President Reagan in the limo. 
Now, my mom had a different reaction to that than I did. Now, I wanted to see President Reagan. But what my mom did is my dad had a sunroof in his car. And she put that thing back and she stood up on the seat. Like, the top of the roof is like this. And she's like, wow. And Reagan goes by. He's like, you know what I mean? Now, now I wanted to see the president too. But I didn't do that. You know, I was a cool teenager. And I kind of just, I don't know this woman. But I just looked out of the window. What I'm saying is, is all of us want the presence of God, but don't allow the style of that to hang you up. We long for this. And until we have it, we're not home. This is what this psalm is about. I just want to read the psalm to you and just make some, uh, hopefully, brief observations if I can. So Psalm 42 says this. As a deer longs for a stream of cool water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for you, for the living God. When can I go and worship in your presence? You know the number one reason that Americans say they go to church? Is they want to encounter God. They want to experience God. Number one reason. Number one thing I pray for, Grace Community. If there's anything else I pray for, these gatherings, I pray everybody would be drenched, not dry, with the presence of God. It's the number one thing that we actually... So what you see in this psalm, you'll pick it up as we go along. This writer of this psalm is spiritually dry, but he doesn't disbelieve in God. He just no longer is experiencing the presence and the power of God. I'll try to explain that more as we go on. Psalm 1611 says, In the presence of God there is fullness of joy. There's fullness of joy in the presence of God. Verse number three, day and night I cry and tears are my only food. All the time my enemies ask me, where is your God? This spiritually dry person is seriously depressed. You notice they're not eating and they are not sleeping. A telltale sign of clinical depression. Verse four, my heart breaks when I remember the past. This is a very important verse. My heart is breaking when I remember the past. When I went with the crowds of people to the house of God and led them as they walked along. A happy crowd. Singing and shouting praise to God. The psalmist, the singer here is remembering a better time when things were awesome. They weren't dry from God's presence. They were drenched from God's presence. We will come back to this verse in just a moment. Verse number five is the chorus. It's the chorus because the psalm is a song being sung in the temple. Why am I so sad? Why am I so troubled? I will put my hope in God. And once again, I will praise him, my Savior and God. What, what's going on here? The singer is talking to himself. He's preaching to himself like he's losing it having a really hard time, very down, and all of a sudden they like get a hold of and says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I can't allow my emotions and my feelings right now to take over or it's going to eventually take me down a road that I don't want to go down in a place that I don't want to end up. And so they start preaching to themselves saying, get a hold of yourself. You know because of your past that you can trust God. So there's going to come a time again when you will trust. And so you know what? Every now and then we have to do that to ourselves. Because if we don't learn how to preach to ourselves and tell us, hey, get control of yourself. Let's go with the facts. Let's not go with the feelings. Let's base this on facts and not feelings. You know you can trust God because of what God has done in the past. Get control of yourself. There will come a day when I will once again hope in God. This is what the psalmist is preaching to himself. All right? 
Let's finish it out. Verse 6 through 10. Here in exile, my heart is breaking. And so I turn my thoughts to him. He has sent waves over, uh, waves of sorrow over my soul. Chaos roars at me like a flood. Like waterfalls thundering down the Jordan River. What's going on here? He said, I'm in exile. I've been taken away. I've been praying to get out of exile. But as I pray to get out of exile, as I pray for God to deliver me from the situation I'm in, you know what happens to me? Do I get delivered? No, he says, no, actually things get worse. Waves of sorrow come over me. You ever done that? You ever prayed for something and that something you prayed for didn't budge an inch? Did you ever pray for something and actually instead of it getting better, it actually got worse? This guy is very, very dry. And he's lacking both the presence and power of God. He continues on, verse 9. To God, my defender, I say, why have you forgotten me? Later in, in chapter 43, which is a continuation of this same song, Psalm 43, it says, why have you rejected me, God? This person feels rejected by God. Why must I go on suffering from the cruelty of my enemies? I'm crushed by their insults as they keep on asking me, where is your God? Why am I so sad? Why am I so troubled? I will put my hope in God. And once again, I will praise him, my Savior and my God. This person is longing for the reality of the presence and the power of God. Longing for that. The presence and the power of God. What I mean by power of God is the longing for God to answer prayer. Have you ever sincerely and earnestly with all of your heart poured your heart out to God in a prayer? And that prayer did not, was not answered. Didn't come true. And maybe in some cases it got worse. I can remember a time in my life, it happened actually 18 years ago on Valentine's Day. Our son had just been born. We were scraping every dime we had together uh, just to make it. And one of the wacky kind of weird talents that I have in life, and I have very few, is I can deliver things fastly, quickly. Like, so I, I worked for UPS, and I, I excelled at UPS. I made many, many stops a day. I could do that. And I worked for other kind of courier services. And I could, I don't know, it's, it's, I don't know what you do with that talent, but anyway, I could do it. So uh, Valentine's Day, all these florists, you know, are looking. So yeah, this, the big national companies are looking can you deliver roses on Valentine's Day? I saw that here's, this is my day. Then I'm going to make a little bit of cash, which I'm desperately needing. God help me this day because I have a talent for it. And so I called them and I said, uh, tell me about it. And so they told me how much I would make per stop. I can't remember what it was. And I thought, man, I'm going to make a fortune because I could deliver 150 stops when I work for UPS in a day. So I'm thinking, man, I, this is going to be a lot of money. I said, can I have North Arlington? Because I knew North Arlington back in my hand. They said, absolutely. We'd love to have you. And, you know, they asked me on my background, we'd love to have you and deliver North Arlington. This is great. So I'm pastoring at the time, and I'm just, we're starving for money. And so I'm, I'm all excited. So I got myself all revved up for the day, right? I'm all excited. So I go there, and the first problem was I walk into this office, and um, I said, okay, I'm picking up the stuff. And they said, all right, take this stuff over here. And none of it was North Arlington. And I said, it was like Maryland and Fairfax County and all this, all of just spread out all over the world. And I said, oh, time out. Um, I was promised that I could have North Arlington. And here's, here's the problem. The person looks at me and said, look, you either take that stuff or shut up and get out. And that was a problem. There was a, <laughs> this is where you're really tested, you know? Man, I just mm, wanted to hit the person. It was a girl, so I couldn't hit her. But anyway, <laughs> took the stuff, 
And uh, I, I uh, had talked to my wife. She said, well, look, since you're going to be delivering all over the place all day, why don't you, anytime that you kind of pass anywhere near our house, just stop by, pick up Jonathan, who was a little baby, and myself, and at least we'll hang out with you since you're going to be gone for like 15 hours a day. I said, okay. So it had snowed just a little bit, and I pulled down the street in this van I was in. It just a little bit of snow. And the van got stuck. We went to leave, and I couldn't get it out. And, man, I, was so, I could have eaten that steering wheel off of that van. I was so mad. So I said, Krista, you get behind it, and you try to, and I'm going to just push this thing. And I remember being on the front, everybody, of that van and pouring my heart out to God. I said, God, I need you to show up right now. I need you to get me off the street. And I was pushing and praying with all my might. And that van did not budge one inch. I was so <coughs> devastated. Some of us here this morning, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've been praying for something. You can't sense the presence of God. And you've been pouring your heart out to God for God to answer a prayer. And it's not budging one inch. What I want to talk about here in Psalm 42 is some major things that we see that can answer the spiritual dryness and the lack of God's power in our life. So I just want to go through. There's seven quick points I want to make. And first, I just want to say a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to a very serious topic as we enter into this new year. Father, we think about your presence and your power. And um, we look at this psalm, and it really resonates with some of us. But God, we know at some point in all of our lives, every single one of us is going to go through this. We experience times of spiritual dryness. And instead, Father, we want a spiritual drenching of your presence and your power in our lives. And help us to learn. Just speak so relevantly to all of us today, this morning. Help us to hear what it is that you would have to say to us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so just seven quick things this morning that we should pay attention to you know, so that we stay away from dryness and we move towards this drenching, which is the goal that's really in our hearts that we want, okay? The first one is this. Pay attention to your physical and emotional health. Pay attention to your physical and emotional health. So you remember verse number three? The first thing that we learn about the singer here is the singer says, I am dry. I'm like spiritually, spiritually, spiritually dry, all right? And then what's the first thing they tell us about themselves after they tell us they're dry? The first thing he says I am physically and emotionally a wreck. I'm not eating, I'm not sleeping, and I'm crying all the time. There are people who will come along and say, and this happens far too often in church, with a simplistic answer. You're spiritually dry, you need to pray more. You're spiritually dry, you don't have enough faith. You're spiritually dry, you need to claim God's presence. Hey, man, that's beautiful. But the first thing that we're told here is for this spiritually dry person as they were physically and emotionally a wreck. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a physician before he became a pastor, preached a famous sermon about this. And he says, and I paraphrase, he says this. If you think that your physical well-being has no connection whatsoever with your spiritual well-being, one day you will wake up and realize that you are sadly mistaken. What the psalmist is saying here is that you have to take care of yourself. This is why we read in the scripture about Jesus always pulling away to rest. He's got the crowds, he's worn out, he pulls away and he rests. He tells his disciples, hey, you know, after the resurrection, they're on the Sea of Galilee, guys, I know you're really stressed out. Come over here, I've made breakfast for you. Slow down, let's stop, and let's eat 
right. Let's get it right. Our bodies can be so far out of whack internally, chemically, whatever's going on, that we'll come to the place sometimes in, in our lives, if something's not right in our bodies, that we will want to die. We have to take care of ourselves physically and emotionally because it has an impact upon us spiritually. This is what the psalmist is saying. The two are not separate. So the first thing you want to think about paying attention to is how are you doing physically and emotionally. Next, and all this is in verse number four, because verse number four tells us so much about what's going on in this psalm, and it gives us so many answers here. So he says, I remember when I would go to the temple and I would lead the procession going to the temple. And what he's describing here, what they're describing is the three major feasts that would happen. So three times a year there was an annual feast and crowds of people and this person would be right there in the throng of people in all the community and they would go and they would sing and they would praise and there would be a number of things that happened in the feast in which I want to describe to you. So second thing you want to write down is you want to pay attention to your routine. This person routinely went to the annual feast three times a year. We must pay attention in 2012 if we don't want to be spiritually dry to what are we doing with our regular routine. It's very interesting here that you see what is being described is a deer longing for water. Now, what do we know about deers and water? They got to have it. They can't like go a week or a month or something without having water. We're talking about a deer. We're not talking about a camel, right? Camels can go forever in the desert without water. How long can a deer make it in, in the desert without water? Nothing. They get a drink every couple hours or they will die from thirst. When, when, I, when I do premarital counseling or a lot of times when I do a wedding, this works great when we're outdoors, is I say, look, here's the thing. We are all highly intelligent. Well, some of us are all highly intelligent. Arlington, you know, Arlington, Arlington County is the, is the smartest county in the United States of America. I don't know if you know that. We are the smartest county in the United States of America, right? Okay, this is great. Okay, but it's as smart as we are. How are we doing with our relationships? How are we doing with our marriages? Are we beating everybody else? No, we're not. Okay, and I say this, rich, powerful, going places, busy, on the run, got your calendars filled up, Arlingtonians, Washingtonians, whatever you want to say, right? You will never, as a married couple, outsmart this one. You'll either spend time with each other or your marriage will dry up and die. Period. End of story. So when I'm outside doing a wedding, I say, you see these trees? See these trees? If they don't get water, they do what? They die. Nobody on this planet is smart enough to figure out a way around that one. You either spend time together. So what does that say? It's saying this, like the deer. You daily, spend time with God. Because when you do, you're not dry. The tendency for you to be drenched with God's presence is much higher this person saying, I have a regular routine of spending time with God. It's very, very important. I tell married couples, you've got to live by your calendars. And if we are going to be spiritually drenched instead of spiritually dry, we have to learn to do the same thing. All right, next. Third is pay attention to your community. Also from verse number one. I remember when I went with the community, leading the procession to the temple. He's remembering a time when he was spiritually drenched, and he says, I remember when I was with the community. When I was with the community, that's when it happened. You know what almost 90% of Americans say? This is a very American thing. Almost 90% of Americans say this. I don't need anybody to grow spiritually. Like, you know what? Me and Jesus, like we'd be out in the mountain, hanging out, having a good time. What do you say? And some of us have great times, wonderful times with the Lord. 
all by ourselves. But on a consistent basis, it does not work. And it is not that sentiment of Americans that I don't need anybody else to grow spiritually is not found, my friends, in the Bible. What's found, my friends, in the Bible is we actually need community. And you know that this sentiment basically only exists in our culture? Other people around the world like, you want to grow spiritually? You, of course, right on the top of the list. You're, you're with other people, right, doing that. But not here in America. We're like, you need other people. You don't need like a small group of friends. Listen, we do this thing. We used to do this thing called connecting with God. Here it is. We ask people to graph your spiritual life, like when you're on highs and when you're on lows. And we said, well, you're up here. Tell us why you're up here. I had a bunch of really close friends. And we just helped each other out spiritually. I was really going, well, what was going on down here? I didn't have any friends. It, it was clear. And that's exactly what the Bible says. We need community. We need community. The Bible says this, where two or three are gathered together in my name, who shows up? Who shows up? Anybody know the answer to that? God shows up. That's what the, that's what the Bible says. When two or three are gathered, God said, there is. Now, when you think about this, think about this. This wonderful American sentiment that I don't need anybody else. I don't need close friendships or, you know, I don't need that kind of stuff to go think about this. Isn't it a little bit arrogant? I say, I don't need anybody else to be spiritually drenched. I can, I can do that all by myself. You know what I'm saying? I can figure this thing out all by myself. That's a very arrogant statement. We need each other. What I'm going to ask you to do is pray, just like Jesus prayed. He says, he goes, goes up on a mountaintop, spends all night praying to the Father before he calls his disciples, before he calls his friends around him who would encourage him and pray for him and support him. I want to encourage you, if you don't have a group of friends like that, the only way you're going to move from dryness to drenching, you've got to get a group of friends and pray, God, send me that kind of group who will challenge me, who will support me, who will pray for me, who will encourage me. That we need that. We can't do this alone. It's so clear here. I was drenched, and then I didn't have community, and I was dry. Pray for that. Some of you are already in a group, and you already got it. Keep, keep going. Some of you are in a group, and you don't have it. Keep praying for it. Some of you are just thinking about it, or some of you are saying, there ain't no way I'm doing that. Whatever. I'm encouraging you. Think about that because there's a strong connection in this psalm with that. All right, next one. Pay attention to your study of the Bible. Very important. Major aspects of the feast, when they would go to the feast, is they would study God's word. Maybe somebody would stand up, priest stand up there, and they'd read the Bible. And then later on at night, as they huddled around campfires, because they would go to Jerusalem for like seven days, you know what they would do? They would talk about it. Did you hear what the priest read? What do you think that means? And they would discuss the Bible together, and they would go a little bit deeper. They would think about it. We're told in the scripture, Jesus says that he is the word, and we're told that the Bible, the word, is alive. And what I notice in my own life is that when I really study and meditate on the Bible, something stirs in my soul. Something comes alive within me. You might say to yourself, man, I can't do that. I can't become a serious student. And I want to say is, yes, you can, and we're going to help you do this. We're going to help you do this. Derek was talking earlier about the homework. We're going we're gonna to change our homework according to your responses to us, and we're going to go deeper into the passages that we study. We're going to add some commentary so you understand some historical background. This is very, very important. 
can't tell you how many people I've come across throughout my years who said, you know what, you know, I, I, I read this verse and, uh, in one verse in the Bible, whatever, and I didn't un- quite, you know, understand it. And, like, I stopped going, uh, you know, I, like, checked out of God for the last 10 years of my life or the last 15 years of my life. Uh, one of the most famous verses to do that is where Jesus says, unless you hate your father and mother, you can't follow after me. And people said, well, that's all wrong. What's wrong with Jesus? He's having a bad day that day. I can't, why should I hate my mom and dad? And I say, well, do you know that in Greek that hate is a relative term, not an absolute term, and it just means to love less, and you should have God first and your parents next? That's all it means? Oh, my gosh, I wish I would have known that. These are the kind of things that we must know in order to understand God's word and be fully alive in it. Jesus, after he was resurrected from the dead, he meets his disciples on the road to Emmaus, we're told. And as they're walking down the Emmaus road, whatever, he did a God thing, and they couldn't tell it was him. They were somehow disguised. I don't know what that looks like, okay, so don't ask me. They just couldn't, didn't know it was him. And they, he says, why are you guys all down and depressed? And I'm like, well, you know, Jesus, we thought he was it. We thought he was the main man. He was going to save the world, but he's dead and he's gone now. And then what does he say he does? He takes the scripture and he fully explains it. He goes deeper. He takes them deeper in the scriptures. And then all of a sudden they realize it's him and then poof, he's gone. And they said this, they said, wasn't our hearts burning within us? Weren't our very beings alive within us as he explained the scriptures? They had a surface level of the scriptures. You know, one of the most dangerous things that we could ever do in this life is have a very surface level of the scriptures because then we take them and we do all kinds of ungodly things with it. But when we understand the depth of the scripture, then our hearts can be alive and full and drenched of God and we can do wonderful things with it then. We must go deeper. Okay, pay attention to your repentance. What else would they do at the feast? They would repent. They would repent. It was a major component of the feast. They would come, God, forgive me. And so what you would have at the Passover feast alone, everybody, check this out, 250,000 lambs would be slaughtered during the week of Passover. All the streams around Jerusalem ran red with blood. The priests were like butchers. Now, God never told them to sacrifice 250,000. God just says, you know, hey, sacrifice a lamb. And they thought, well, that's good, so we ought to just do more of it. So they did it 250,000 times. But it was a very harsh and stark reminder that they needed help. It's a brutal thing to see all these lambs slaughtered and this blood all over the place. And it reminded them, I really need help. Now, listen, think about this. Why do you think that Jesus Christ hung out with sinners. Why does it say he hung out with sinners? Jesus is hanging out with sinners and the Pharisees don't like it. And why are you, Jesus, hanging out with these sinners? Why are you doing that? Well, listen, all of us are sinners. We're all sinners. So why does it say this group of people is sinners and it doesn't talk about these other group of people? Well, simply is going on here is, is saying that this group that he's hanging out with, these sinners, they know they're sinners. These people over here, they're sinners too, but they're not really sinners. You understand what I'm saying? They're sinners, but they don't, I mean, they're clear. These guys over here are sinners, but either they think they have no sin or they have very little sin. These people need the help. I don't really, I remember being in a church 20 years ago and the big thing at this church was is that we could live our lives without sin. Like we could be sinless. I used to think, this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. This is, I can't even get out of bed in the morning without sinning. This is, this is, this is crazy. But here's the, here's the thing. When, when this group of people who Jesus hung out with, which he had so much success with everybody, all right? Tremendous amount of success with these people over here, this group that's called the sinners. 
Any of those people would have stood up if somebody said, are you a sinner? They would have said, right here. And everybody would have said, yep, you know it, we know it, we all know it. You are a sinner. You need help from God. This other group over here, right, the people who didn't need the doctor, they said they didn't need a doctor. They didn't have sin. Jesus says, I only go to the sick. I don't go to those who are healthy, those who don't know. What I'm trying to say is this. We have to get in touch with the fact that every single one of us is in the exact same place in need of repentance and of God's help equally. And it is so easy for us living in this world and living in this city and going to church and trying to do good to say, hey, man, yeah, I need, I need help from God, but I don't need as much help as that person over there. Are you following me? So Jesus preaches this message. It's his most, it's his, the biggest sermon he ever preached in his life, Matthew chapter 5. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And he stands up. What's the first point he makes? Blessed are the what in spirit? Poor in spirit. And what do the poor in spirit get? Who can answer that? Blessed are the poor in spirit. They will receive kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. There's no spiritual dryness in the kingdom of heaven. Would you agree? Can you agree with that? Heaven, there's no spiritual. Everything's perfect. It's paradise. It's the home you're longing for. Blessed are who? Who gets to experience? Who gets to visit heaven? Who gets to experience that spiritual drenching? The people that are poor in spirit. Well, who are the people important? They're the people with their hand right up. Are you a sinner? Oh, yeah, right here. I am. With no hesitation whatsoever. Everybody, it is a natural thing that we gravitate towards this thing. We don't really think that we're in total need of God, that we're not desperate for God. And one of the best things you could ever do if you're feeling spiritually dry is you go to God and say, God, please make me poor in spirit. Please reveal to me the depth of my sin. What happens, we hang out in church after a while and we get all Christianized and we stop doing that stuff that you're not supposed to do over here and that. And then we feel a little bit more high and mighty. It's a natural human response, isn't it? It'll lead you. The one thing we think is supposed to lead us closer to God is actually leading us away from God. And the best thing we could ever do is, God, I need you to show me who I really am, and I need to always be poor in spirit. Would you help me? Look, if you're having a hard time having your prayers answered from God, here you go. You say, God, show me how big of a sinner I am and make me poor in spirit. Here it comes. Fire up the train engine. God is going to come out of heaven and he's going to help you with that. Do you know what I mean? You might not get your prayer answered to win the lottery, but you'll get this one answered. He will come and show you, and we need that. We're desperate for it, okay? Uh, pay attention to your worship. I've got two more points. Pay attention to your worship. They worshiped. They poured their hearts out to God. You know what they sang in the temple? They sang Psalm 42. They said, God, I'm dry. You've rejected me, God. You've forgotten me. One of the things that we need to remember to do is when we feel so distant from God, when we can't sense God's presence, or we can't sense God's power, we need to go to God and at least talk about that. We need to say, God, I can't sense your presence. I can't, I'm dry. You've left me. You've forgotten me. One of the best things we can do. Sometimes they oh, you know, can I tell God that? Yes, this is what the psalmist did. We need to praise God by being honest with God and bringing that before Almighty God. Psalm 22.3 says, God inhabits the praises of his people. Last point is this. Pay attention to your money. All right? This is going to be a sensitive one. So just be patient with me. It's going to be okay. We're going to, make, we're going to be all right. A major aspect, not a minor, a major aspect of the feast was they brought their tithe, 10% of their income. They brought 10% of their income 
to God. Major aspect. Matter of fact, God tells them in Deuteronomy chapter 16, when you come to these three feasts, when you come to these three feasts, do not show up empty-handed. Don't, don't, don't make the mistake of showing up empty-handed. Come and bring this tithe. Now, look, this is a very sensitive issue, and I'm, I'm aware of that. And I know some of you are probably saying, look, man, you call me a sinner all day long, okay? Just don't ask for my money. <laughs> two totally different things. Very sensitive I'll be calling a sinner, but in, you know, between the two, sinner, money, call me a sinner. All right, so uh, I just want to say a couple quick things, and we'll get off of it so, so that we'll be okay. We're not going to take up an offering. We don't have a special fund we're trying to raise money for. All right? Do not allow your money to stand between you and God. Do not allow your money to stand between you uh, being drenched in the power and the presence of God. Don't, it's, it's, it's crazy. Such a, such a little thing. You know, when we, when, we, when we don't tithe and we don't do that, we're basically saying to God, God, I can do more with 100% of my money than you could with 90%. Malachi chapter 3. Think about this. It's a famous couple verses on tithing, everybody. And it says this. If you, if you tithe, I will open up what? Who knows what that says? Anybody? Storehouse. Huh? Storehouses. I will open the floodgates of where? Heaven. So opening the windows of heaven speaks of what? Access to heaven. And heaven is a place where spiritual dryness doesn't exist. Are you connecting the dots? So when I tithe, God says, okay, I'm open. I'm giving you full access to heaven. I'm opening up the windows. Spiritual dryness is gone. doesn't exist in heaven. Sometimes we allow money to stand between us and being spiritually drenched by God. Here, just a couple things, okay? In the Bible, tithing is an act of worship. And anytime we tithe, we should pray about it. Oh, God, this is an act of worship. And we treat it as such. Now, some of you are sitting here and you're thinking, whoa, man, you're, you're a pastor, and that's, and that's why you all ended this tithing thing, okay? And so for those of you who feel that way about me, I want to I say, do you think I'm doing this just for selfish gain? That, getting your money is not the goal of Grace Community Church in 2012. It's not the goal. One clear goal is that every single one of us would be spiritually drenched and experience the power and the presence of God. That is the clear goal. I encourage you with all my heart, to try tithing. And if you're afraid I'm doing this for selfish reasons, please, I beg of you, give your money to another church. But do not miss out on the drenching that God wants for you. If you don't know another church to give it to, come to me. I'll tell you another church that I have nothing to do with. Okay? And you give, but don't miss out just because you think I'm selfish. Don't miss out for that reason. It's very, it's very, very powerful, and it's clear in Scripture. Tithing, open access to heaven. All right, I want to end real quickly. A little Bible trivia. You can help me out. So the singer here in this, in this psalm, he cries out, I thirst, I thirst. Can you think of any other famous person in the Bible who cried those exact same words? Anybody? Jesus, okay. The singer here cries out to God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Can you think of anybody else who cried out those exact same words? Jesus, okay. The singer here says, my enemies are taunting me. They're saying, where is your God? Let's see if God will come and save you. Can you think of anybody else who hung on a cross and was taunted by his enemies? And they said, let's see if God comes and saves him. Jesus Christ. What I'm telling you is this. The parallels between the 42nd Psalm and Jesus Christ hanging on the cross are incredible. They're deep. And what does that mean? It means this, everybody. 
that God wants to take our spiritual dryness away. He took our place on the cross so that our spiritual dryness and our longing for home would end. He takes all those elements of Psalm 42, this famous psalm of spiritual dryness, and says, I want to end that for you. All I'm asking is that you pay special attention to these seven points that we find in this. And I believe when we get to the end of the year that maybe God will do something special in life. So let me end by saying this. I felt strongly about speaking about Psalm 42 today. Now, I'm not a prophet, and I'm not a man of God. I don't, you know, I couldn't get away from this for the past two months because I feel this. I feel like there are many of us in this room, in this church family, who are really been praying about something for a long time, and your heart is deeply hurting And you're wondering if you're ever going to see the power and the presence of God and there's going to be an answer. And I just felt like God wanted to say today, yes, you will. Yes, you will. Keep paying attention to these things that we find in Psalm 42. And God will show up in his power and his presence and drench you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, so much, God, for your word and for the wisdom of your word and for the power of your word. God, help us to pay attention to Psalm 42 and the tremendous things that we learn there. God, bring each one of us, those of us here this morning who are saying, is it ever going to end? Is my prayer ever going to be answered? God, are you ever going to stop rejecting me? Am I ever going to have a breakthrough to this thing that I've cried out to you that I hurt so deeply about? God, I pray that each one of us would experience the fulfillment of that prayers, that we would see that breakthrough, that we would see the drenching of our lives with your presence and with your power and our prayers would be answered. And God, we would rejoice with you. Bring us through the dryness that we are in. Help us and encourage us along the way, for we will one day again hope in you. In Christ's name, amen.